0: Hello and welcome to MoneyPod podcast designed to help you better understand all things personal finance learn how to build a budget manage money reach your goals and save for retirement the podcast is hosted by jackson wood and david gorham jackson and david are financial advisors at liftoff financial planning a registered investment advisor based in idaho all opinions expressed by jackson and david or any podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of liftoff financial planning this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Liftoff Financial Planning may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
1: All right, we're rolling. <clears throat> this is episode 14, Davey.
0: I already knew that and I really want that to be the intro now because now I'm just going to say it. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome back to episode 14 of The Money Pod podcast about money, finance, and everything in between. But that's a very narrow band, so uh, I hope that you're interested in other things outside, like how great Pizza Hut is, how much we don't like Domino's as a group, and we'll be talking about some other fast food in today's episode. (laughs)
1: Let's start it off, man. You want to talk about McDonald's? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So there's an article on CNBC, uh, which which is titled... Uh, if you invested $1000 in McDonald's 10 years ago here's how to, here's how much money you would have I can't even talk so guess here it is $1000 into McDonald's stock common stock in 2009 guess how much it's worth as of September 20th 2019
0: oh i would bet it's probably like in the last 10 years it's probably 4000 3500
1: well, everybody's going to be disappointed. No, it's, you, you were kind of close. You were off by one, zero, uh, 400% return. So, so you're at you had five a, grand.
0: Five grand. Okay. So when you say off by one, zero, you,
1: you said 4,000%. 4, um,
0: no, 4,000 total. Um, oh, I thought you
1: were talking about return. Sorry.
0: No, no, no. 4,000 bucks.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah you were close to- then. Yeah. 4,000 bucks is, dude, that's Domino's like return.
0: <laughs> All right, podcast is over, I quit.
1: <laughs> but it is, so, so I'm not lying.
0: <laughs> over over 10 years, they went up by 400%, so they they've multiplied four times the stock price, right? Yep. And I have to think about it. I'm probably responsible for 3.5 <laughs> times of that. Like 350% of that growth is probably just my personal eating habits. That's how We're
1: going We're going to gross out our listeners here, but I love McDonald's, dude. I love McDonald's. there's nothing uh, wrong
0: with that it's engineered to be loved like they have food scientists working on it all the time i mean it's like saying you know i love you know opium okay (laughs) your brain's designed to love that solid
1: saturday mornings uh when i go from i get from the work week right saturdays my wife is like all right let me sleep in because you know she's got the kids during the week and i'm like all right i'll take the kids and i just load them up and we go get hash browns in the morning and i know i'm feeding them poison but they'll like it too right (laughs) Um, so the McDonald's stock thousand bucks turned into 5,000 for a total return over 10 years of 400%. In the same time, by comparison, the S&P 500 earned a total, uh, earned a total return of nearly 250%. So when you look at outperformance of the S&P 500 or of McDonald's to the S&P 500, you definitely got paid to take the risk of owning McDonald's. Um, which is interesting because I feel like these types of stories encourage people to, to take single stock risk. And uh, I think for every one story like this that we can find, we could probably come up with maybe 10 or 20 stocks that underperform the S&P 500, even if they were in the S&P 500. Um, you know, if you look at the S&P 500, on, you know, like a a yearly basis and you say, okay, what stocks are, you know, creating this return? It's usually like 20% of the stocks are positive, bringing up the return and the others are, you know, kind of losing money. So it just happened to be that McDonald's was probably one of these.
0: So I I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the future with investment strategies. I mean, I know that there are funds launching all the time for, you know, know, environmentally conscious or, you know, moral or religious reasons. But I mean, like (laughs) my wife actually turned me onto this fund. It's the, uh, it's ticker is P-E-T-Z-C, and it is the Gabelli Pet Parents Next Shares Fund, and it's designed specifically for uh, companies that support pets and pet products, and it's an ETF based solely on that premise. So, you know, food, vet expenses, pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, toys, et cetera, everything that kind of goes into that arena is now an ETF. And I think they're going to see people bet on, like, lifestyles a lot more now, which is just fascinating
1: to me. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I don't know. I saw, I, I, I mean, come on. No, no, no. You
0: Okay. You said it's terrible idea. Come on. How much money gets spent on pets? How many people yeah, I, view their pets as children? Like, come on, that can't be a bad bet.
1: Okay. So maybe the investment idea is a good one, but would you rather own pet Z or S and S P Y S and P 500? Now that's not a recommendation compliance people listening, but you know what I'm saying? Like,
0: I would rather own Petzi ZC Pet every day, simply because I know that I'm doing something that helps the ones I love, Jackson. Whereas you don't have a heart; you are okay. Corporate. This
1: is one of my biggest. This is <laughs> this is actually one of my biggest frustrations with this this socially aware investing or or uh, uh, screening. You know that you can screen an index and avoid you know tobacco companies or whatever. When you make this investment, like you actually think. That the money is going to the company it's not right you're buying their publicly traded shares it's not going to the company you're buying ownership in it that somebody already bought so i get not wanting you know not wanting to you know invest in you know companies that pollute and so the way to stop that is stop vcs from putting money into the company stop you know stop the ipo or don't buy the direct listing but if you're buying something that's already traded on the secondary market your your money's not going to mcdonald's all you're all you're doing is participating in some of the growth or some of the dividend and, but that doesn't directly benefit the company at all. Like,
0: And you know, that's a great point. I just like to take a moment and tell everyone like those are Jackson's feelings on investing next week. We're going to have Jackson talk about how Santa's is not real. <laughs>
1: so no, no, no. Like,
0: if you if you have any other dreams that you really want to live out or enjoy like we'll make sure we get those
1: but no. <laughs> okay no no i don't think it's bad to invest into companies that you like but i i don't want people to think that buying you know pet z fund or whatever it's called is going to give money to those companies you're not participating in the iPO you're buying equity and you're not giving you're not giving them the money right all yeah. you're doing is saying, oh, I love this investment philosophy. I think it's going to generate some sort of earnings in the future or some sort of growth. And I want to be a part of that. But you're not actually benefiting these companies that are going out and doing the good work, right? See what I'm saying? Like there's a layer here because this is already trading on the secondary market.
0: Sure. And I agree with that, but that doesn't stop them from being necessarily like, you know, enveloped or put into a package with other similar companies and traded. Yes, I agree. There's a secondary market. So you're not contributing directly in the same manner as you would if you were buying an IPO. Yeah, sure.
1: So this ESG stuff and like the socially aware stuff, like it's got good intentions, but I don't know if it really accomplishes what they're trying to do. Like, It's not going to cut out tobacco companies or, you know, Anheuser-Busch or, you know, whatever. A lot of people don't like to buy Target, you know, because of Christian, Christian beliefs or whatever. It's like, cool, that's awesome. Don't shop at the store, but owning their stock doesn't really do anything.
0: Potentially. I think there's an argument to be made for secondary pressure. I mean, a lot of companies will do what they can to avoid you know, having that negative press, for example. So uh, I don't know if you actually saw this, but uh, there's a day coming up, I think it was today or maybe it's this week, where all of the proceeds or most of the proceeds from Big Macs sold by McDonald's are being donated to, I think it's cancer research. That's cool. And so Burger King said, okay, we're going to stand with McDonald's. And so they had a day where they're not <coughs> selling Whoppers. I think it's called a, a, a day without Whoppers. So they can try to drive up the sales of their rival's company. And I mean, that's a brilliant marketing move, right? So I think that there's a pressure being put on a lot of these major companies, especially those Fortune 100 ones, to try and stay in a positive public image simply because that drives the bottom line. And I mean, that pressure, while not direct, I, I see what you're saying and I agree with that. I think that secondary pressure is extremely yeah, strong. Yeah,
1: I think the pressure is strong to to change you know, um, company behavior. I just don't know if I believe or buy the idea of you can harm a company or force a company to change if we don't buy their stock. Like, sure, if you don't buy it on the IPO, but if it's already packaged in the SP 500 and all of a sudden they kick it out of the index, like that, I guess it would affect, you know, a second raise or a bond issuance or selling more, more stock, you know, additionally taking private shares public. Um, but, I, you know, one of the stories that I was sad about was did you hear, did you hear about that story of the kid that went to college game day and raised? a poster up in the air that had his Venmo address on it. And he said, I want this need to refill Bush light. And, uh, so then the, this journalist, so he raised like, you know, a million bucks and he decided he's going to give it all to cancer research for kids. It was this awesome, like heartwarming story. And then the Des Moines register, dug up some tweets that this kid had sent from like when he was 15 and they were, I don't even know what his tweets were, but apparently they were inappropriate. So Bush flight was like, sorry, can't affiliate. And like this, this journalist, like crushed this million dollar thing going to these kids. And it's like, man, that was stupid. That sucks.
0: Well, and there's, there's also this problem that's facing the world now where everything that you've said, you know, for some of the students I teach at Colossal, for example, like their entire life has been digitized and recorded. Everything they've said online is still out there. And I mean, I I grew up in a time where most of my childhood and a good portion of my adolescence, I mean, the the internet wasn't really huge and especially like permanent markers of what I thought or said. I am extremely lucky that not every dumb thing I ever thought as a teenager is on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's no person in the world you can look at and say like, okay, you have a completely blameless and spot, you know, spec free record all the way up through adulthood. I mean, that's madness, right? Yeah. And I think that we're becoming much less forgiving as a society, and that's going to start tanking a lot of really good things. Example, a million dollars for like a children's You know
1: hospital. what the sweet justice of the story was? The journalist that tweeted this kid's tweets or retweeted or whatever, broke the story. Somebody went through that journalist's tweet history. And <laughs> he got fired because he had these bad tweets he had put out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually happening. New York Times had an article really? about that yeah. where uh, – it was a conservative group that started going through um, a whole bunch of left-leaning people's Twitters and other online presences, and they were cataloging, making sure they saved and archived all the information about everything they'd ever said that was offensive, because journalists will often do that to try and discredit a source, just like we were talking about with oh, the wow. Venmo kid. And they started doing that to journalists and saying, "Hey, you know, this journalist has X to say about you know someone on the right," and then like it's just it's becoming a complete yeah. mess.
1: It's the cancel <laughs> cancel culture. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah
0: exactly like social media I think is making society a lot worse in a lot of ways except for this podcast <laughs> if you're listening now you're doing a morally good thing and encourage all of your friends to um,
1: know, so. do so. there have been times so my wife is a YouTuber and like I've watched I've watched you know like wild documentaries or whatever on YouTube and like people are like why are you watching that's like no, no I'm not believing this I'm watching this like we're reading a book like, right? you know I don't know it's funny to it's funny to see people and you know you're always gonna make mistakes and say dumb crap but I don't know it is what it is, I guess. I feel bad that the that feel bad yeah, about that money I, getting lost because it was stupid. Poor kids.
0: And I I bet people will come back together and find a way to either restore the donations or find yeah. some way to make it right. But it, it, right now it is a little ugly. Speaking of ugly, that uh, actually ties pretty well into the article I have of the day. This is from Mad Fiantist. He's a uh, very famous blogger and author who deals with essentially financial independence. And he came from a STEM background, hence he's got Mad an awesome, Fiantist. Pretty
1: uh, clever name podcast too.
0: Yeah. You know, very bright guy. And, uh, his article is actually called the best and worst thing about financial independence. And I'm not going to dive into a lot about like, you know, the, uh, he has a lot of his personal history in there and you can read it for yourself, but the, the gist of the article essentially boils down to this, right? So FI or financial independence is something that, you know, I believe in very heavily Jackson, I know that you do too. And it's the ability to hit a point where financial concerns don't necessarily dictate all of the decisions in your life, right? So if, if you think your job is killing you, you have the ability to find another one, right? If you don't like the way something is going in your life, you're not stuck there because of a uh, necessarily a fiscal concern. And I mean, that's, that's great. It's a measure of independence. And I think that people will live much happier, much more passionate, and I think much more meaningful lives. But the drawback is, and he really focuses on it, is that you don't have any more excuses and if you were unhappy before you achieved financial independence, you're going to be unhappy after you yeah. achieve financial independence. And that, th- that's something that a lot of people, I think, don't even consider until they start getting close to retirement. Where, you know, for example, if you are you know, extremely unhappy, you complain about your job all the time, and like you know, if I didn't have to do this stupid job, I'd be out you know, writing music, or I would be spending time with my kids or whatever, you should make those things a priority now and like, build the life that you want in the moment. And then make sure that you're gradually phasing into it rather than idealizing, you know, once I'm done with this stupid job, then I'll go out and work for charity or then I'll do this thing that I have a lot of uh, passion for because the odds of you actually getting there are extremely low. I
1: agree with you, man. It, uh, I think that people like idolize the, uh, the idea of doing nothing all day and like not having to go to work and it, it's just – You make it financially and then you don't have anything to do. You don't have passions. You don't have a plan. You don't have you see this even with people not that are people that aren't retiring early when they retire at sixty seven, right? They retire and it's like my entire identity was wrapped up into my job and now it's like I don't know what to do. And you it's very, very difficult mentally. Um, and so I think you can make your entire life more enjoyable if you just start developing passions or hobbies or things you like, even when you're working 40 hours or 50 hours a week. Um, that's key. You have to have something to retire. to. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's. That's that's exactly it. something to retire to. Um, a lot of people will point to the fact that after retirement, a lot of people will die, and farmers are actually notorious for this because you know farming is it's a lifestyle, it's not a job. Like pretty much everything in your life is geared toward you know farming or agriculture, and then if a farmer is to move out of that role, all of a sudden you know everything, all of their life or the thing that they based a lot of their life on isn't there, and so you know they have a very high rate of passing away after quote unquote retirement. And a lot of the research that's coming out now points to the fact that if you don't have social connections or goals or passions or hobbies or something else that ties you to, to life outside of your work life, the odds of you dying go way up. Your lifespan goes far, way down. And uh, I'll actually call my wife out for this because she's a saint. So she works uh, 40 hours a week in a very high stress STEM job and she she does incredible things. And she has an hour commute each way. So she's burning on average like 48 hours a week at least because she has uh, four 10s. On her day off, on Fridays, she started and runs a food pantry every single Friday. And I mean, she organizes the food pickup. She organizes all the volunteers. She handles all that and gets it done every single week because it's something that she's passionate about. And I mean, the fact that she has a very busy and very high profile job doesn't actually stop her from doing what she cares about. And so, I mean, I, I personally don't have a lot of patience when people talk about like, well, I changed the world if I weren't working a job, like find the time. You will always find the time to do the things that are important to you. And then it's, it's infinitely easier to find an excuse.
1: Yeah. I think if you actually have something that you can do, you know, like on the weekends that you love, it makes working more enjoyable because you have something to look forward to and you're not just completely miserable. So yeah, huge props to your wife for doing that. That's, that's awesome.
0: It can change your perspective too so instead of it being a job that you work to stay alive or pay off your debts or whatever once you start to have that passion project whatever it is your job becomes the way that you're funding your passion project right so like some part of my paycheck is going toward you know i'm going to cut an album right i've always loved guitar like all of a sudden that job becomes something that's supporting you know a goal or a dream of yours and it becomes a much more positive part of your life yeah your boss may still be hard to deal with your coworkers might still be gossipy whatever it's not such a negative thing anymore and it can change your perspective. And I think make you a much healthier person. And I just love the perspective in the article. And it's a common thought in a lot of financial independence yep.
1: circles. And it's even better if you love your job and you love your hobbies and your family and 100%. your time Like, yeah, just, that's even the best, <laughs> the best, right? <laughs> you can work forever, have family. I mean, it's sweet. I, we get lucky because we love our jobs. So, but I have had jobs that I've hated. Yeah, I mean, it's- I have had jobs I've hated. Well, I had a job one time working in a clean room, programming computer chips, and I could only program one computer chip at a time, and it took 14 minutes to com- to program the computer chip. And literally, all I had to do was push a button. But it was a clean room, and I couldn't have a cell phone in there or another computer. And so I sat there for the entire shift, would put the chip onto this thing, push a button, wait 14 minutes, take it off, put it onto a tray, and do that again. Over and over again, (laughs) I didn't like that job. (laughs) Just
0: hearing that made me depressed. Like my brain stopped producing. It paid awesome.
1: I was in high school and it paid like fourteen bucks an hour. But I really quickly realized why it paid fourteen bucks an hour because you couldn't even have a book. You couldn't have anything (laughs) in there. You just had to be like in this suit. It was tough.
0: That sounds miserable. So I
1: had to, you know. But at that time, I was playing golf. I was, you know playing hockey, doing all those fun things. Anyways, um, let's talk more about the markets and investing into things that are bad for the environment, should we? All right.
0: <laughs> that sounds great. I uh, I think we're very strongly <laughs> anti-environment here. I mean, you hate animals, you hate any kind of immoral investing. Um, yeah, make it know, even let's,
1: better. Let's it's even it. worse for kids and these guys target kids. Um, okay. So this one comes from uh, Business Insider and it is the <clears throat> hedge fund that potentially is going to lose 800 million dollars so a top hedge fund which is called Murdoch Capital Murdoch Capital management uh, invested 800 million dollars into a company called enjoy and enjoy is an e-cigarette vape company um, so this fund it's a growth fund they you know only use accredited investors money you know probably a minimum of four million or five million you put in the fund they put Eight hundred million, which is about thirty percent of the firm's total assets, into e-cigarette maker Enjoy. Uh, the fund itself returned thirty percent last year, which is an incredible return because the overall market was down like six and a half percent or something. Um, so the fund returned thirty percent last year, but this year it's well. What happened was regulators are now you know cornering all these vape uh, And e cigarette companies, and they're putting a whole lot of regulatory pressure on it because apparently vaping creates a lung disease and it's killed eight people, and 500 people now are currently sick. So they're trying to, you know, regulate these e cigarettes. And uh, Altria has made a huge investment into these. Philip Morris has made a huge investment. There's a company called Jewel, Juul, J U U L. It's a vape company. They had their CEO step down this week. And so what happened is, you know, all these. All these hedge funds and you know private investors and even some public investors saw this huge opportunity to capitalize on vaping that they which they thought was a healthy alternative to smoking. Which I guess it is a healthy alternative until they realized, uh oh, this creates a lung disease. It creates all this bacteria and stuff in your lungs. And now the government's starting to crack down on it. So the the fund purchased forty million or fifty one percent stake in Enjoy, and uh, it's basically just completely tanked this entire year. Um, it, uh, let's see here. The fund outsized returns this year stand in stark contrast to the fund's competitors in distress investing. According to data compiled by HSBC, the year to date average for distress funds is 5.59%. Uh, so it's like, I don't know, it's wild. It, uh it's gnarly to see these companies lose all this money and these hedge fund holders losing all their money. But it, uh, it's, it, it's funny because we highlighted single stock risk with the McDonald's and it outperformed the S and P 500. And then you see a group of professional investors in the hedge fund space or Altria or Philip Morris making these seemingly really good bets on these vaping companies and they just get completely slaughtered and crushed. And, uh, it, it's tough to see. Yeah. Ed Jewel lost $30 billion in market value, uh, this year, which is, that's a lot of money.
0: <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people actually talking about how odd it is that we're seeing such a fast and decisive regulatory response. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at look at all the things that the government takes its sweet time on and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, eight people have died and it's affected 500 others and like I mean obviously that's a horrible Not that thing, many. but statistically that is yeah. that's an anomaly, right? However, I think one of the main reasons it's happening is because it also effects and is being marketed toward underage people. And yeah, I mean, as soon as you start marketing to kids, especially with something like this, you know, a cigarette replacement, I I do think that the quick response is pretty warranted. However, I don't know that there's a lot of data on this. Uh, My brother and I actually got into an argument this summer about uh, vaping versus smoking. We were looking up a whole bunch of the different, like, you know, uh, the boiling points of the oil and other health effects. And it doesn't look like there's a ton of research still that's been done it's in its infancy. And so I think that people are making a lot of very decisive action or strong opinions on not a lot of data.
1: You're talking about how unhealthy vaping might be. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. And in that, I'm saying that like, I suspect that inhaling anything into your lungs isn't, you know, for example, air is probably (laughs) not a great idea, but you know, you, you have to look at what the studies are doing and you have to actually study it in a clinical manner. I mean, it's easy to jump to conclusions based on like preliminary results or very small sample sets, but I would like to see a much larger statistical study to-
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely makes sense in my mind, and I don't know anything about science, but that vapor is probably better to breathe than actual smoke from something that's on fire. Um,
0: but- sure. And there's a particulate that will come through the filter, right? I mean, that's what a filter's for in a cigarette, um, but- at the end of the day, you're still inhaling at least some portion of, uh, the gas that's going into your lungs. That is not supposed yeah. to be there. Right. And that's, I mean, that's so, bad uh,
1: thinking about Altria, the FDA announced its probe into vaping. <laughs> um, so Altria owns Juul. They're the top uh, investor in Juul. And, uh, they announced that in April of this year. And, uh, since then, it says Altria is vulnerable to such negative developments of the vaping space after paying 12.8 billion in December for a major stake in Juul, leading vape, vape company responsible for 70% of these e-cigarette, e-cigarettes. And uh, it has lost $31 billion since April. So, you know, Altria is filling it. They, they're they only a top investor in Juul. So it's it's interesting to see these things because then you always compare it to the S&P 500 and that's what I always do. So McDonald's underperformed the S&P 500 by something like 200%. Altria has underperformed the S and P 500 in this quarter by five percent. So it's it you know it's just the idea of diversification here. And Altria is down eighteen percent this year, while I think the S and P 500 is up close to eighteen percent. So you got nearly forty percent gap there. Yeah. Um. Anyways, well, should we go get some e-cigarettes and try them out?
0: <laughs> uh, I would rather not. I took there as an eighth <laughs> grader and I passed that course. So just say no. That was it's still strong with me. Depends on how you define drugs, man. But uh, okay. no, yeah, I would not either. endorse e-cigarettes. Um,
1: so, any other any other things? Any other stories you found appealing this week?
0: No, I think that we've uh, complained about yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. That, well we, we love McDonald's and
1: hate vaping. I guess is the way to, and you need to be happy. Maybe you could retire. Maybe you could retire and work at McDonald's. because exactly. We both love it.
0: I think that as our podcast goes on further and further, we should get a money pod <laughs> logo and just change it to grayscale <laughs> to reflect how dead we are inside. As we just okay, I'm going to put you
1: on the spot. What's something you love?
0: Something I love. Man, okay. I actually went out and mowed the lawn today, and it was so nice to just you be the outside. Fall. I love the weather right now. Uh, for anyone who's – I lo- fall's my favorite season. I absolutely love it. Um summer winds down, you know, the temperature's really nice outside. It tends to get really quiet. People are trying to get their vacations done. Like there's, there's this kind of peace before you move into, you know, what used to be the winter hustle for me. I used to work in the specialty tax world. And so this is where, you know, things would really start ramping up. Uh, you would have just finished your nine fifteen deadlines. You have some ten fifteens lingering. And then yeah, this was a little bit of a calm before the storm. Whereas now it's just, it's a really enjoyable Yeah, It's been, it's been really great. I
1: love it. Um, I love that it's not a hundred degrees outside and miserable, It's like 70 degrees, 75 degrees. You go outside, right? You bike around the block, whatever. Um, all right. So let's jump into the questions and we have some really good questions this year or this week. We're going to keep going on our what I wish they taught me hashtag. And this one is about budgeting. So Danielle said, what I wish they taught me in high school was how to make and follow a budget properly. Groceries, bills, savings, charity. What do you think, Davey?
0: So I'm going to not give special emphasis to the groceries, bills, savings, charity at the end. Like that's just part of a budget. Um, budgets are really simple to set up. They're really simple in concept. They're really hard in practice for a lot of people. Um, for I would I would say most of most of the human population hasn't been exposed to budgeting in any kind of a realistic way. At the end of the day, you have to take. How much money is coming into your household, or if you're underage, you know how much money you're making from your job that you're keeping, and you have to divide it up into portions. You have to know exactly what you're going to spend it on in advance; otherwise, it will disappear in a cloud of bad ideas. So, yeah, I mean, you you take a budget. You're going to look at so housing, food, water, utilities. You know, any of those uh, Maslow's hierarchy. You need to make sure you take care exactly, uh, Jewel, especially. McDonald's <laughs> and so once you've got all those staples met you need to start dividing up your priorities right if it's important for you to give the charity then charity should be the next one on the on the docket right if it's important for you to uh, save up for you know a triathlon or a half marathon or a half Ironman like save up for that but bad idea your budget <laughs> and the order in which you fulfill the budget items shows your priorities in life and so yeah. if if you're someone who 98% of your income is spoken for and then like you know whatever's left over goes to charity charity's not a high it's not a high goal in your life it's not a high priority but you need to just take the money that's coming in and tell tell your money where it's going to go and do so in the order of things that you care about
1: every dollar has to have a job and uh some of the jobs can be fun and entertainment but you've got to assign a purpose to each dollar uh just so everybody knows Cash flow based planning is how we run our financial firm. So that is where we start when we look at financial planning. And uh, I hope that kind of shows how important we think a budget is because it really, the, the plan begins at the budget. And if you're trying to invest, you're trying to save or pay down debt and you don't have a budget, you really have no map. You don't have, you know, you don't have any guidance on where to put the money, what to do. And so this is like step number one. And, the hard part is sticking to a budget and maintaining that discipline is probably the hardest thing in finance, but it's the most important. So that's that's you know where we uh, where we start with financial planning, and, and we always end up you know modifying budgets and tracking them. But that's that's kind of it's the epicenter of, of all of a financial plan and investing. Uh, I would argue that it's that for a company as well, you know, knowing where cash flows are going. So it's really important. I do, it's a shame that they don't teach it more. Um, you kind of just have to have income in order to learn it. But if you have any questions on budgeting or want our budget, we actually have a pretty cool template that we'd be happy to email you. So just email me at uh, support at liftoff planning, or you can tweet at me, JacksonwoodHQ, HQ, and we can go, we can go over that. But that's kind of the key. Um, what recommendations do you have for the week, Davey, unless you have anything else to add to budgets?
0: No, that seemed pretty good on budgets and that's, it just takes time to do. A uh, recommendation for the week is actually a tournament that's coming up in the jiu-jitsu world. It is the biggest tournament in the world. In my opinion, it's the highest priority. Like it is the absolute apex of skill. It is the ADCCs. And so that's named after the Abu Dhabi combat club. And so, uh, you, you have a whole bunch of grapplers in different weight classes who have to receive an invitation from this. Like you, you get your actual letter in the mail or an email and like, you can only come if you are a grappler of tremendous reputation And you just get to see the best in the world go at it. And at the end of it, one of them wins the absolute. And I get fired up for it every two years.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I actually, I'm going to be out of town, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it. But I'm going to be searching Reddit for a, not a stream, (laughs) for for an update. (laughs) Right. Good save there. The
0: the really cool thing is there's actually uh, a guy I fought in the finals of a tournament. It was the Proving Ground Invitational 4 his name is Keith Krikorian, is in the lightweight division. And so, I mean, I, I lost to him in the finals, and I am really excited to see what he does at ADCCs. He's, uh, How sweet kind of, would it
1: be if he wins?
0: Oh, man, I'm going to take total credit for that. Like yeah. 100%.
1: That's what he submitted me with.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, he wouldn't have been at that good, as good at that choke if he hadn't finished me with it, right? Exactly. But, uh, Keith, on the less than 1% chance that you ever get referenced to this podcast, good luck, man. I'm pulling for you. I voted for you to get the invite, so I hope that you take it.
1: That's awesome. If I, you can't tell by listening to our podcast, we love jujitsu and mixed martial arts, and we talk about it probably way more than we should. But uh, if you watch it, you'll know why we love it so much. I have converted a lot of my friends to MMA and uh, jujitsu. <laughs> Anyways, all right, my recommendation you, of the week, huh?
0: How about you, man? Yeah, lay it on us.
1: So my recommendation of the week, politics aside, Edward Snowden came out with a new book, and just by mentioning his name, we're now on the watch lists. But his book is called Permanent Record, and it's a biography of his life. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie. I don't remember if it's just called Snowden or whatever, but it kind of like goes through what he did in his life. But this is his own, you know, autobiography. And uh, I don't think he narrates the audiobook, but I've been listening to the audiobook, and it is fascinating. It is crazy to th- see what he what he built. And I think you can like summarize his story, uh, up in the way of he built this monster, regretted building this monster, blew the whistle on the monster. And then the monster killed him <laughs> or sent him to Russia in a dungeon.
0: Yeah. He's and not dead yet.
1: Yeah. Now. Well, basically he is, I mean, he's miserable, you know, but he's trying to, you know, I don't, is he in Ecuador, Russia? Where is he? Do you know? Does anyone know?
0: Oh, I don't know where he is right now. I just saw him in a headline, but I can't remember what country.
1: Yeah. So anyways, politics aside, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't really have an opinion on the morality of what he did. It's really hard for me to say. I would just, I don't know. But the entire story is fascinating and interesting and and seeing his employment and the way that these agencies work and how they contract, you know, huge private public companies and how they can get paid above government wages when they're contractors, but they're also working for the CIA or the NSA is just, it's a very strange world that I, I don't quite understand, but it's fascinating. And it, it uh, it's cool to have like a firsthand, you know, story of somebody that was in it.
0: Right. And I, I think I read his uh, Wikipedia article a few months ago and I think, you know, very high intelligence. I think he's batting like a one forty five IQ or something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, he's just someone who has—he's uh, almost like a Renaissance man, where he has a whole bunch of different interests, and he's very good at a number of different aspects of life. And so, I'm—I'd be really curious to hear. I I'd probably to check out the book based on your recommendation. I would be curious to know what actually happened, even though the conspiracy theory side of me says that we'll probably never get an unbiased approach.
1: Right? Yeah. <clears throat> There's an interesting part when he was a kid. He was a uh, fascinated by computers. He was still living at home with his parents in junior high, and. Somehow he decided, well, not decided, but he became obsessed with the threat of someone hacking a nuclear station and, you know, I don't even know if this is possible, but causing some sort of explosion and your wife would know this, but um, you would probably know this too. And so what he did was he went on to some nuclear plants website and he searched it and he found all of these vulnerabilities and it terrified him. And uh, so he called the tech support of this nuclear institution and he said, Hey, found some vulnerabilities, please, you know, please call me back. And then he emailed them and they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. He said, Hey, I found access to all of your private documents through your website. Please call me back. So he's just sitting there playing on the computer one night. Phone rings, his mom answers it, and it's the director of this place. And they're like, Hey, is, your, is Edward there? Like, he found vulnerabilities in the nuclear database of all this stuff. And so his <laughs> mom is like, uh, What did you do? And hands him the phone. And he's like, Yeah, I'd, oh, I'm so glad you fixed it. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I was waiting. What took you so long? And his mom is just sitting there panicking that he's like, you know, a felon now. And they offer him a job and he's like, well, you know, I'm really busy during the school year, but I could potentially work for you during the summers. And like the guy thought he was, you know, like an adult. <laughs> right. Like that's the kind of guy. And he, he basically like went on to develop cloud computing and, and all this crazy stuff. So it was just fascinating. He's like, man, that guy's at least 15 times smarter than I am. <laughs>
0: Right. And that's the perspective that always fascinates me, yeah. right? Because like we would have a very different view of George Washington if the revolutionaries had lost the war, yeah. right? You know, he'd be a traitor and a terrorist and how how we traditionally view Benedict Arnold. And so even though we live in the information age, I actually feel that it's harder to get a clear story on like who someone was and what they did simply because it's, you know, rather than hiding information or making it hard to find, I think it's much easier to paint a picture of someone so that you don't know what's real and what's not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he, he would argue that that's what they did when he leaked all the information to journalists They're, they painted me there as a villain. And now I'm, you know, but anyways, it, uh, it's fascinating. I don't, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him, but I don't think he's got much hope. He's angered a lot of very powerful people. <laughs>
0: He has, but I mean he's been on the run for over a decade now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean he's been vital in like you know, a lot of changes like Apple, you know, they're very protective of data. And I think that he's probably influenced some of their policies and stuff. So he's certainly done some good. If you think he's totally evil, I don't know about that, you know.
0: I think he's still living in Moscow. As of two thousand seventeen, he is married and living in Moscow per Wikipedia, which I think can never be wrong, (laughs) is how it works.
1: One of my favorite things is That after big MMA fights, people go in and edit the Wikipedia pages and post them on Reddit. And it's just, it's hilarious.
0: It's amazing how fast it happens. I've seen like some submission wins or, you know, however they win, like TKO. It appears in Wikipedia in like 30 seconds. Like, how
1: did you do that? They pre-wrote like 15 different edits and they're like, which one is it going to be? Bang. And then they win.
0: (laughs) I like to imagine some dude cage side has his phone out and like he's on Wikipedia. Like he's not, you know, texting or doing anything else for after the show. Like he he's ready to get information out to the people as soon Probably as possible. Probably Joe Rogan. <laughs> Absolutely. The, it has to be.
1: Who else king of be? all MMA, even though he didn't fight MMA.
0: <laughs> I would still not mess with that guy. I'd love to talk I would to love
1: him. to hang out with him. I would never, ever try to fight him. Have you ever seen the spinning back? Yeah, I would treat him the same spinning way. Spinning back kick?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. he's I, He was a very high-level Taekwondo player. Uh, I know that he's done MMA with a number of greats. and I mean, he's been a jiu-jitsu black belt for 10th years. planet, right? Yeah, he and uh, Eddie Bravo, Edgy Bravo are yeah. close. So, I mean, I, I would love to grapple with him. I don't think it would be super competitive because he's built like a would you? And I think it's all natural, too. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, I'm sure thing.
1: it is. Would you rather grapple with Jocko <laughs> or Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan. Would you rather...
0: Joe Rogan, no contest. Have you seen would Jocko Grappo? Would you rather
1: grapple with two Joe Rogans or one Jocko?
0: Are they both normal-sized Joe
1: Rogans? They're Mighty Mouse-sized Joe Rogans.
0: I would fight two Mighty Mouse-sized Joe Rogans <laughs> before I thought Before Jocko.
1: we go down this, we better cut this conversation. <laughs> it's gonna have, we're going to have like 10 different variations of this. We've already done that. We did we'll an entire pro. flight home from Dimensional Fund Advisors Conference. <laughs>
0: The people next to us thought we were absolutely crazy <laughs> and they're not yeah. wrong.
1: Anyways. Uh, yeah. Anything else?
0: No, I think that's All a pretty right. good place. Take All right. Away, well, man. we appreciate
1: you guys listening to every episode of the money pod. It's unbelievable how many people have liked and, and you know, given us feedback. If you have any questions, submit them at JacksonwoodHQ on Twitter. And then you can also use the hashtag what I wish they taught me. And that's where we're going to pull some questions and some topics from, uh, from you guys, the listeners. And if you'll share it and subscribe on whatever platform that will help us get engagement and uh, get more followers. And that's always important because then we get more questions and the show becomes better and it evolves. So we appreciate everything you guys have done for us and we will see you next week.